0: I just want to add a quick welcome to you. If you are new to the church, uh, maybe uh, this is your first Sunday joining us either in person or online, a special welcome to you. We want you to uh, feel like this is a safe place for you to get to know us and maybe get to know God again for the first time or for the first time in a long time. And the same goes true if you're visiting with us online. Uh, We recognize that uh, this is a crazy season in life and in our world. And Uh, There are times when God might be inviting you to reconnect with Him in a new way, and we hope that Faith Covenant Church can be a place where you can do that Uh, with genuine welcome, uh, with safety and love, and we would just love to be able to get to know you better and find out how we can be a part of that journey that you have with Jesus. You can do that by filling out a Connect card in the seat back in front of you. You can turn that in in our uh, offering boxes, or you could hand it to me or somebody in the lobby. Uh, You can also use those cards for prayer requests. Uh, Every week, uh, we pray for all of the requests we receive, and so we value that partnership with you as well, that we can pray for whatever's going on in your life or in your family's life, or uh, in our community around us with the people that you know and love. So don't hesitate to do that. We also have a digital version on our website, uh, and in our stream uh, uh, Facebook page, you can find a link there. We are in our final round of our series in Ecclesiastes called Chasing the Wind, which is a study of the book of Ecclesiastes uh, where we are looking at the themes of futility and fulfillment in life. And uh, we've been in this uh, twice now, once in the fall, once in the winter, and now it's our third round, so you may be one of those people that are feeling like, oh, man, I'm getting tired of Ecclesiastes. (laughs) But uh, hang in there with me. We're going to work through chapters 8 through 12 uh, in the next few weeks, and I think that we're going to find, hopefully, that there are still some meaningful and impactful um, messages that we can glean from this book as we move forward. Uh, Last week, we did a quick review of where we've been, and so if you are are just kind of coming into the series now and you want to get a quick recap, you can go online and listen to uh, last week's message, but we also have all the messages posted online if you want to go back and listen to the whole series uh, through a podcast while you're taking a walk or jogging or working out, that's a great opportunity as well. Jumping back in at verse 1 of chapter 8, the teacher, or Kohelet in Hebrew starts off by saying, who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. And right here at the beginning of verse 1, I'd like to suggest that the teacher is introducing this idea that in the wisdom literature of the Bible, there are these proverbial sayings that require wisdom to understand. That this saying that he gives us right here is a is an introduction that he invites us to, to try and go deeper into understanding what he means because more literally it says, who knows the interpretation of the saying? And we're moving into a section in the book where we're going to have a lot more of these proverbs, these proverbial sayings that we can begin to apply to our lives and to our relationships given the context of the world we live in that he's used the early chapters to set up for us. Wisdom sayings in the Old Testament times were often considered to contain a more hidden meaning, or or maybe it'd be more accurate to say a deeper meaning than simply the surface level understanding. There's often a, an, an initial explanation that you can kind of quickly get a hold of because it, it's very simple and it's easy to, to understand on the surface. But there's this idea that if you take time to, to ponder it, to reflect on it, to really kind of allow the Spirit of God to work on your heart and your mind, you might find deeper layers of meaning and applications for your life that maybe you didn't realize by just looking at it at first glance. Understanding the the deeper meaning and the application of these proverbial wisdom sayings the teacher is suggesting for us here is what begins to change your attitude in such a way that people can actually read it on your face. It softens your inner heart, he's saying, in a way that it begins to soften your outer demeanor. Rather than exhibiting worry and anxiety, which often kind of weigh on us physically and in our faces as kind of a a dour kind of reflection in our our hearts and in our minds, he says the wise person begins to exhibit a more calm and a non-anxious presence. And in the context of what follows, he's going to suggest to us that maintaining a calm and non-anxious presence can be especially important when you find yourself in disagreement with the king. (laughs) Now, the next section can be read in two actually polar opposite ways. And some scholars, as I was doing my research, suggest that the NIV translation is probably not the best translation if you look at the original text. So let's read what the NIV says first. In verse 2, he says, Obey the king's command. Because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, What are you doing? Now, uh, the alternative way of reading it, which the uh, NRSV version has, the New Revised Standard version is, is one example, says it, and it comes out with kind of the opposite meaning. And it says, keep the king's command, and because of your sacred oath, do not be terrified. Go from his presence, leave the king's presence. Do not delay when the matter is unpleasant for He does whatever He pleases. Now, uh, if we take the most literal translations, one of the commentaries I read suggested that we can probably read these verses more accurately this way. Obey the king's command. In making an oath before God, do not be hasty. Do not be dismayed. Leave the king's presence. Do not stay in a bad situation, for He will do whatever He pleases." So it seems more likely that these verses advocate withdrawing from the presence of the king rather than trying to stay in an opposition to the king, put yourself from a bad situation into a potentially worse situation. You see, in this sense, on the surface, the teacher is describing what wise behavior would look like in the royal court, where unwise behavior with the king could actually be hazardous to your health it says here that there will be times when a person doesn't approve what the king's command is. He's going to think that the king isn't really, uh, you know, thinking clearly and isn't making wise decisions and will be tempted to question the king's judgment. But here again, as we've seen in Ecclesiastes throughout, the teacher is laying out for us the idea that there are two paths that we can choose in life. There are two ways of living that we can pursue, and wisdom, in this case, will choose to live in obedience to the king because of who the king is and what he represents, and will choose to take a wise and a measured response to their own disagreement, and they will wait for the right time and the right manner in which to engage the king in a way that may actually have a positive impact on how the king thinks about life and his decisions. Instead, our temptation is to, to react emotionally in the moment because of our opposition to what we're hearing, or our opposition to what we're seeing, or our frustration with the outcomes that we think will happen if the king makes these decisions, which, which ultimately could also be detrimental to our health and to the health of the king's people. And so in verse 5, he goes on to say, whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. And the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure, for there is a proper time and a procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. So here we're reminded of chapter 3, right, where we were told that there's a time and a season for everything. And that what we have to understand is that even though there's a time and a season for everything, those times and seasons are not in our control. Whose control are they in? God. God's hands, right? God is in control of the times and the seasons. And and in God's hands, there's an appropriate time and a season and a place for every matter. And, And that even though life can feel unfair at times, we have to learn to trust that God is fair and that God plans and promises that He will bring into judgment every matter under the sun. So the wise person doesn't need to try and control the situation but can let go and trust that God is in control and that he will bring every matter to a good and a just conclusion. Even though it's admittedly, the teacher says, in the meantime, a misery or it can be a heavy burden to deal with these things as we go through life in this world. However, he's suggesting to us that rather than being weighed down by by the burdens and the cares of life that we experience, the teacher's telling us that wisdom can allow us to give up the need to try and manage and control our external circumstances and the people around us, or the need to be right, or to always have to win the argument. And with that wisdom comes the freedom then that changes your demeanor and allows you to not be uh, weighed down in your heart by these things, but to live in the freedom and the joy that comes from not feeling like you have to be in control because you trust that God is. And so it's really the unwise person that rushes to speak, and that rushes to react, and that argues to be right, and is unwilling to have the patience to pursue the matter in a time and in a manner that is more appropriate and more effective at finding resolution. The wise person exercises patience, the teacher is telling us, rather than giving full rein to the full measure of their feelings. And with the pursuits with the other pursuits in life that he's talked about that people use to try and find profit and gain and happiness in life. What he's saying here is this is another example of how opposing the king is simply an exercise in futility. Because the king's word is supreme, he says, he's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway. It really doesn't matter what your opinion is. And so ultimately, it's the wise person that recognizes they don't have control over what happens in life and what other people choose to do. And so if that's the case, and we understand that that's true, then it's the wise person who begins to choose an alternative way of approaching life, which is not to control life, which leads us to find ourselves on the wrong path. And so Kohelet further illustrates this same truth by giving us a list of other examples where we also see that as human beings, as those created by God, we are not able to always manage and control every circumstances in our life. In verse 7, he says, No one knows the future. Who can tell someone what is to come? And no one has power over the wind to contain it. So no one has power over the time of their death. And as no one is discharged in a time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. You see, in the same way the teacher's saying that wisdom tells us that all these things are unavoidable and inevitable and not within our control, you can't predict the future, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. In fact, we don't know what's going to happen on our way home from church today. You can't contain the wind. You can't uh, grasp after the things that were never meant to be in your control. You can't determine the day and the time that you're gonna die. You can't extend your life any longer than God has ordained and in a time of war, you can't, uh, if you're probably a younger person, be discharged from military service. It's an all hands on deck experience. And in the same way as all of these, he says, we need to be aware that wickedness will not release those who practice it. And so we have to be careful about understanding which path we're choosing. Inevitably, Wickedness, he says, ends up possessing those who practice it. And in this context, even though it may appear that the king has supreme control and has the final word on all things, in the larger context of what he's already taught us in Ecclesiastes, we understand that and realize that in the end, it will not go well for the king if he uses his power to to rule unfairly and unjustly because wickedness ultimately will devour those who possess it. You see, the teachers talked about this before and how this kind of behavior that seeks power and control over others to get a leg up, to seek self first, uh, is what creates injustice and harm and evil in the world. But it's that behavior that ultimately, while we think it's going to bring us gain, is what is self-defeating and brings harm to the perpetrator. And so he goes on in verse 9 and says, All this I saw, and I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There's a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is futility. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better, and there's that word tov, it will go better. The good life is found with those who fear God, who are reverent before Him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well for them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. So here again, he brings us back to our desire to find the good life, the better way. And the better way, the better path to the good life, he says, is to start with the fear of God. And in doing so, we begin to pursue a life of wisdom and righteousness based on what God has revealed about who we are and the world that he's created. Even though the wicked may not seem to get what they deserve in this life, they still won't discover the good life, the teacher says. They will not find happiness and genuine fulfillment by pursuing that path. Ultimately, the teacher is wanting us to wrestle with the truth that we all know and live with, but we struggle with every day. And that is the fact that life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. God knows that. We know that. But we think it should be. We want it to be. We think if we can just uh, have enough strength or, or ability to control or change people's attitudes that we can make it all work out to be fair and equal and just. But we can't do it because it's not in our strength. But the teacher says, life isn't fair, but don't let that truth, don't let that reality undermine your wisdom and your ability to choose how you're going to live your life. In verse 14, he says, there's something else futile that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve, this too is is futility. It's vanity. So I command the enjoyment of life. Because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in all their toil, the days of life that God has given them under the sun. You see, to expect that life is going to be fair in this broken and this fallen world is simply to set yourself up for disappointment. It's an exercise in futility. It's another example of chasing after the wind. You see, instead, what we often see is that the righteous get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked get what the righteous deserve, and it doesn't work out the way that we know that it should and the way that would seem fair and right and good. And only God has the ability to bring justice and fairness to the world. And we have to remember then and trust in him that all the times and the seasons and the appropriate manner in which we pursue these things are all in his hands. And so we have to look first for his guidance and his leadership in our life. So the teacher points us back to finding the path of genuine happiness and fulfillment in life, which is the start, which its starting point is to go back to trusting in God to enjoy the life that you have as God's gift to you and not need anything in addition to be content and to be happy because even if you got more, you're still not going to be content and happy because contentment and happiness doesn't come from the things of this world. And the task of daily living, even though it is toilsome and difficult and it takes effort to maintain a wise posture towards life and to others around us, the teacher is telling us we can, if we start with God and we trust in Him and we give up control or the need to control, we can find joy in daily living. Don't sacrifice the opportunity, the teacher is telling us, of living in the joy that God has for you in this moment, right now, today. Don't sacrifice the opportunity to experience the gift of life in the pursuit of some greater truth or some greater fairness or some greater justice, the teacher says, all of which are not in your ability to control. And so in verse 16, he says, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, all the the things that we give ourselves to do, people getting no sleep day or night because we're running after all of this stuff that we think is going to make us happy. Then I saw all that God had done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning, even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. See, the wisdom that the teacher is inviting us to receive and to learn and to apply in our lives is very similar to what Jesus taught his disciples in the New Testament. Do you remember in Matthew 10, verse 16, where he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd or as wise as snakes and as innocent as doves. There's wisdom in exercising patience that comes when we recognize that we are not in control of life, but we worship a God who is. Because of Jesus, we do know that God's ultimate plan and purpose for you and for me and his creation is to be restored, to be a just and a fair place where, where all of God's creatures can live in eternity. We know that that is what's coming, that is what's promised, that is what's been guaranteed by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can be sure of this and you can bank your life on it. But even so, we can't always know where God is and what he's doing in this moment of time and how he is working that salvation out in the general experiences that we have day to day. And so as we patiently wait for God's salvation and for the redemption of life in this world, The wisdom that he gives us gives us a greater perspective on how to enjoy this moment, this moment, in this time to be people who are following Jesus in a way that we become a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. We see this perspective expressed in 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to discover the path to the good life. He wants everyone to to leave the wide road that leads to death and find the straight and narrow, the simple but difficult path that leads to life, and to hope, and to genuine happiness, which only comes from our relationship with God that he's revealed in Jesus Christ. Just because you live in a world that exalts power and fame and beauty and control as a means of finding human happiness and fulfillment, it doesn't mean that you should be drawn into the lie that tells you that that's how you can find happiness in your own life. Because the truth is, it's not working for anyone else either. The wisdom of living life with a, a mature and a, a patient faith in God, even when life seems unfair. And when we find ourselves under the power and the authority of somebody above us that we might not agree with and that we might want to contend with, whether it be a king or, or, or a president or, or, or a political party, Or whether it's your boss at work or a teacher at school or or, or whether we even bring it home to, to a parent that we live with in our house or even, can we dare say, a spouse. Can we learn to respond with patience and with wisdom rather than reacting with pride and emotion and trying to fight and claw our way to victory? because when we do, no one wins. See, genuine wisdom leads to the kind of humility the teacher is telling us that doesn't seek power and control in every situation, but learns to respond in the right way at the right time as God has ordained in order to create the best chance of having a positive influence on other people and on the world around us. And so we come full circle back to the opening question that the teacher proposed for us. For us today, right now, in this room, for those watching online, who are the wise ones in the room today? Would you count yourself among them? Who knows the interpretation of these sayings? What's the deeper meaning behind this teaching that the teacher may invite you to apply to your own life and your own situation that might begin to change your inner attitude and actually change the expression on your face? Where do you struggle with the desire to be in control of the situation in ways that lead you to react emotionally rather than to respond with patience and wisdom? As you look at the nature of the world we live in and perhaps at everything going on, not only globally, but right here in our own nation, do you feel frustrated? I know I do. Are you unable to see or imagine how to begin to change the trajectory that we're on, wondering perhaps this must be the end of times because this world has gone to hell in a (laughs) handbasket? In the midst of all of this, in the anxiety and the misery and the heavy burden that life in this world represents to us, do you trust that this world is in God's hands? And that as a part of this world, you are in God's hands as well. That you can trust him to bring his salvation in the right way, at the right time, that he's got your back, that he will fight your battles, and so you don't have to. Can you trust that God will fulfill his promise and that he is the one who is working to bring justice and peace on earth? Which means peace in your life and in mine. On this day of Pentecost, do you trust in the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit to give you the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding of how to live the way God has invited us to live? so that we can be a positive influence and we can share this good news with others as well. Those who are wise, the teacher says, learn to accept their human limitations and to appreciate each moment as a gift from God. And that wisdom will brighten their face and change its hard appearance. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the wisdom that you share with us in your Word. And while we can see and read and and understand on the surface level some of the ways that that these things are are generally true, God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you make them true for each of us in a very personal way today. God, I trust through your Spirit you have been revealing to each one of us in, in a unique way how this Word is a Word for us, and I just pray that you give us the courage and the strength to receive this word, and and to trust that you are with us, and that through your Holy Spirit, you will give us the courage to act on what you have revealed, so that we can go from this place today knowing that we have been changed by your word, that we are empowered by your Spirit, and through your Son, Jesus, we are called to go on mission to a love in our hurting world. And we will thank you, and we'll praise you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.